All right, we are live. Um, joined today by uh, by Haas coming in from a uh, bubble spaceship in the future. He's That's joining correct. Us. Joining joining you from a bubble tree spaceship, um, and uh, having a good time. <laughs> so. Um, We'll get into uh, we'll get into our chosen movie in a bit, but uh, what else you've been watching or, or thinking about lately? Um, what have I been watching? Um, I watched uh, a few different things recently, but I've been watching Chuck. You remember Chuck, the TV show? Mm-hmm. Was that like on USA or TBS or something? No, no, no. It was it was uh, network NBC, I think. But... No, I I don't think I remember it. It okay. sounds familiar, but I don't. I don't know. So it's on HBO Max now. It used to be on Netflix, and so it is about a guy who works for the Geek Squad at Best Buy, but a fictionalized version who ends up becoming like a super spy. Okay, yeah, I've never seen this, but I'm, I looked it up. I recognize the poster. Yeah, so I watched it like when it first came out, but it, I went on my mission. Uh, like halfway through the first season. So I was liking it. But then my brothers kept watching it and they like loved it. Um, so I caught up on it on streaming when it like was finally finished and stuff. But my brother actually worked at a geek squad uh, <laughs> while this was airing. So it was kind of like uh, appropriate for him. But um, anyway, it's it's kind of like one of the first nostalgia humor shows Cause like it's, there's tons of references to like Dune and star Wars and, you know, James Bond and like, you know, kind of like eighties, seven seventies, eighties, nostalgia humor, which is yeah, kind of like the trope now. Cause he's a geek, right? Cause he's a geek that works at the, the, geek, right. the geek squad. Right. So him and his friend like dress up like a sandworm for, <laughs> um, for Halloween and stuff like that. But like, it, it's interesting to watch now just the, that that trope is like so played out like i don't know just nostalgia humor in general but it's still kind of a good show mhm that's cool yeah i never saw that um but yeah i can tell just from the the pictures and stuff what the vibe was you know that show ozark yeah um i don't think it's very good like it it um it came on strong as i call it breaking bad 2 yeah, Breaking Bad, Missouri, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like Breaking Bad, but it it doesn't have much of the same. Breaking Bad had this really strong comedy thread throughout it. Right, right. There was kind of more to it than just drug drama. Yeah. Um, but uh, but <laughs> Ozark, yeah, they're always upping the ante on like how depressing they can be. Yeah, I don't think it's very good. I, I guess I've I've I watched first season was like all right, but even then I kind of knew what I was that it wasn't that good. But and just through inertia, I've I've kept going. Um, but I've I've struggled to even get through like the first two episodes of the new one, and I I don't I don't think I'll get much further. But uh, yeah, so I think they are they're kind of, and I I've seen a little bit of that sentiment around. So I I mean I'm guessing maybe they have another season in the works, but then they'll be done. I'm guessing. Yeah, I watched the first season, but I don't think I finished just because it was like, it's too violent for me. I don't like things that are too violent. <laughs> yeah, 
I'm like a baby. But um, no, it was just like, like I kind of w- was like interested and intrigued at the beginning. But then when they kind of like settled into the Ozarks, I was kind of like, oh, so this is just going to be like one of those shows that doesn't ever go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I yeah, was like, it, I'm not every, interested. And it gets compared to Breaking Bad all the time. But Breaking Bad was like a time bomb where you knew how it had to end and you were just going to see how it gets there. But this Ozark could just kind of go on forever. It could meander for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, like, I it kind of like got into some of the stuff and I was just like, I don't, I don't care about any of this. Mm-hmm. So I just stopped watching. Yeah. I watched a weird movie. Um, it was a documentary about Elliot Smith. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Are you familiar? Yeah, very much so. Um, oh I'll really? Me, yeah, tell me about the documentary. But so Elliot Smith's last live performance was at the University of Utah, and um, it was free. It was part of like a you know I think it was like uh-huh. a back, like a back to school sort of thing. And so I was there, and he was not doing well. He was, um, I don't know if it was drugs or just his own you know his own uh depression or whatever but he he kept uh having to stop so- two or three times he had to stop some songs and like start them over and he was just sort of like uh you know you, you could tell he was mad and it was yeah it was not uh i mean when it when it was good it was good i mean he was he's a legend but um but yeah it was uh it was interesting to see and then not long after that it was when he when he uh was was murdered by his girlfriend Jeez. Okay. So that's interesting because like, and by the way, that was a, that's a joke, but I mean, I don't, I, there, you know, the theory that he was murdered by his girlfriend, but uh, you, well, I, I've, I, I thought it was generally accepted. It was a suicide, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. That's interesting. Cause like, I've been talking about this to people and like, everyone's like, who? And I'm like, <laughs> Elliot Smith, you like, he, he was like a big, kind of indie rock staple like or or like indie indie not indie rock but like indie staple yeah. of like you know i feel like early millennial time period yeah i don't know how you i don't know how anyone gets out of the um got out of the 2000s without if if you were at least 15 by year 2000 or you know around that age like i don't know how you would not have known of him right i was only i was younger but like i had heard of him actually because of royal tannenbaums um, yeah, he's in. He's his song is in the scene when what, in the suicide Rich, scene. Yeah, Richie's cutting his arms. So the thing about one sort of thing I think about all the time with people like Elliot Smith is if his songs had just been, if they're just been low effort re-recordings by popular artists, he's got like ten songs that would have been number one hits. Like there, it's um, and he was kind of like prolific. Like he produced yeah, he, a lot incredibly prolific and um just the just the baseline songwriting ability was incredibly high like there's um you get a there's like popular artists who will have like one or two truly good songs and and you, then you get someone like Elliot Smith who has like songs he'll never release that are better than the best things written by you know like a a, a big pop star okay yeah what's funny you're probably a bigger fan than me i never saw him live or anything and and um i uh you know i i kind of dug into his stuff 
uh, a little bit, but, uh, you know, and kind of enjoyed it, but I never really like went back and like listened to kind of his early songs or like heat miser or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, I saw the documentary and I'm like, Oh yeah, I, I, like, I kind of know the story, but I'd like to know more. Like, so I started watching it and, um, anyway, I thought it was interesting. First of all, just how old he was, which I didn't realize, but I mean, it makes sense, but like, it just seems weird. Cause I kind of identified him as almost like a millennial icon, but he's firmly Gen X, like of a guy, <laughs> which makes sense that, you know, slightly older people are producing music that teenagers are listening to. Right. Yeah. Actually, but, I, I, yeah, I mean, I assume, I guess I'm guessing, yeah, he was born. He, if he was alive, he'd what be in his fifties now or something. He was born in 69. Okay. Yeah. And so, so like, I, I didn't have like his whole timeline in mind. I just knew he had kind of some big songs around like early two thousands. And so I was like, I, I, I just hadn't really put that together, but I just thought it was weird that like, and then I saw like some interviews of him and he's like very, um, kind of brooding emo guy. And it, it's just weird to think of like, so like he's the same age as my father-in-law and I'm like, it would be weird to think of my father-in-law being like a sensitive brooding emo guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, um, reading about him somewhat recently. Oh, it was actually about the, the, you know, was it a murder? Was it a suicide? Because it, as a suicide, it was a very strange suicide because I didn't, didn't he stab himself in the chest, which is, you know, very, yeah. Un- stabbed himself in the heart, which would kind of be hard to do. Yeah. And like, very I unusual. Guess samurai did it. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so there was a lot of speculation that it was a murder. Um, so I was going back and kind of digging into that, seeing how, how credible that was. And, uh, which no, no one really seems to accept that. Um, but, uh, I was reading, I think it was one of his girlfriends or his friends. It might've been, it was someone famous. I don't want to get the name wrong, but it was someone famous from like a big indie band. And they're like, you guys don't understand how tortured this guy was. They're like, we, we were hanging out with him on tour or something. And, and he was, uh, he'd gotten hold of, I think it was Adderall. And he had like, he was taking like 10 X the like maximum recommended dose. Uh, just, just because like, just to like feel something sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So he was, was, yeah, he was kind of, yeah, that was kind of his vibe, but, but yeah. So in the documentary, they kind of cover how like he started playing music. He was kind of into like, like punk music in the early nineties and essentially was in like a, a, a punk band and then started doing solo projects where he would kind of sing whatever he wanted. Cause he was kind of having a fallout with his bandmates and he ended up doing kind of this singer songwriter stuff that um, was kind of like totally different. Mm-hmm. And what I was thinking, I was like, is this the beginning of like emo music or like, <laughs> but it's not, I looked into it further, but it's kind of in that same time period, there were also like actual like emo punk bands, but yeah, I mean, obviously incredibly influential for, sad you know sad guys with guitars um, yeah sad indie musicians is is very much like his uh yeah the, like he definitely was influential but not necessarily on straight to like emo but it was kind of more like 
yeah, sensitive guitar man. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't talk to people that much these days about music, but, um, but so you're saying, I'm not, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised to hear that, that people you encounter don't know who he is, but, um, to me, it, to me, he seems like a very important figure in like, if you like sort of musical literacy or something, you know, popular music literacy. Um, yeah, he's like someone that other musicians knew about. Yeah, they they all they all would say he's he's very like one of the best. So I mean, if if anyone's listening to this is not familiar, you yeah, you got to go back and at least at least become familiar with his like five to ten best, or even just even just his most popular songs. Like you got to know him. Yeah, yeah. And then he was the I think he won an Oscar for yeah. So so yeah. apparently that was like a big changing point in his life that they covered in the in the documentary he won an oscar for goodwill hunting his song in that yeah and did it make his life worse yeah because basically he was super introvert and didn't like the attention and just kind of wanted to produce his art you know and then mm. all these people he had to like go on tours to talk about being nominated for an oscar and then i actually don't know if he won or just was nominated i can't remember but uh oh yeah i think maybe he didn't win but he performed at the oscars cuz like he performed usually they get like all the people all the nominees to perform and that kind of like catapulted his status where he was kind of just a local uh portland musician and kind of west coast type of stuff but then kind of was catapulted and started touring and yeah well, oh, so yeah, I'm glad you, I'm going to watch this documentary then. Where, where is it? It's on prime. Oh, okay. And okay, cool. Um, yeah, I, you know, I didn't, I was not planning on talking about Elliot Smith today, but <laughs> I'm glad that came up and I'll, I'll definitely watch that. Yeah. Yeah. So do, do we go to the, 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 the main event? Um, okay. Yeah. From here we will, um, uh, crap i had a joke i can't remember it now um <laughs> well i mean i'll just edit it to make it sound to make it sound like i didn't forget it but all right, uh, you want me to laugh all right one two three <laughs> great joke yeah crap i can't remember it anyway yeah um yeah let's uh now let's let's jump into uh 2006 that's when it came out right yeah do, should i do my 2006 uh, spiel or, or should I not talk about 2006? Do, do your 2006 spiel, but yeah, so now and I'll, we'll, now we'll jump into Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain. You pulled me through time. Don't worry. We're almost there. Our bodies are prisons. I'm not afraid anymore, Tommy. All flesh decays. Death turns all to ash. And thus, death frees every soul. Together we will live forever. Yeah. Yeah, so the yeah, fountain. Yeah, tell me about. Tell me, I know you're a 2006 truther. Um, yes. And I, I think the more conventional uh, camp is the one I'm in, which is a 2007 team, 2007. But 
give make your case for well and and to be honest i would kind of say 2005 2006 2007 take the bests of all those years it was like a great time period for movies in my opinion um so because i'm I'm fond of many 2007s as well but i think 2006 is is the middle of that section so I, i i would kind of include you know anything within a year of that date but anyway um, first of all, The Fountain is my favorite movie. I can basically say that. I mean, I kind of have a top five or so that I just like equally, but The Fountain is probably my number one if I had to pick one. Um, so that being said, I may be a little biased. But um, 2006 has two of my favorite movies, technically like two of my top fives. So The Fountain is one. The Fall, which is a very indie movie, which I won't go into, but look it up. The Fall, 2006. Um, and then I'll run through the list really fast. And and all of these I like. So Black Snake Moan, Apocalypto, Children of Men, The Departed, The Prestige, The Illusionist, Casino Royale, Little Miss Sunshine, Inside Man, Blood Diamond, Pan's Labyrinth, Once, 300, Marie Antoinette, Curse of the Golden Flower, A Scanner Darkly, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, Lady in the Water, Accepted, She's the Man, great comedy, Idiocracy, Talladega Nights, Nacho Libre, Borat, and then American Dreams, Dreams with a Z, another very <laughs> I have to admit, I haven't actually seen a lot of those. Okay. Or no, and some of the ones I've seen, I you know, I, I saw them in a very passive setting. But yeah, we could talk about any of those, really. Like, there, there's plenty to talk about on on a lot of those. But especially, like, yeah, those first four I listed, The Fountain, The Fall, Black Snake Moan, and Apocalypto, those are probably, like, like top 10, top 20 movies for me. I'd plan to do Apocalypto, it's, it's uh, Apocalypto, right? That's what it's called? Yeah, um, yeah. I'd plan to do that one here at some point. Okay. Yeah, I could talk about that. That was, did Mel Gibson direct that? Yes. After Passion. Okay. But uh, so, yeah, so uh, that's your, that list essentially is your case for 2006. That's my case. That's my case for 2006. I understand that some of them are probably more personal choices to me. Like these aren't necessarily like, you know, Oscar type movies necessarily, but like even like Pan's Labyrinth, that's a great movie, you know? Mm -hmm. And then Curse of the Golden Flower, no one has seen, but it's a Chinese movie, martial arts epic. That's basically Hamlet, but Chinese. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot I have not seen. I feel uh, inadequate hearing the list. Um, I'm probably probably, um, susceptible to like following crowds a bit, um, which is why I've always thought like 99 and 2007 were such good years. Um, Because I, I guess I... I only can see so much. And so I, I do rely on the filter of, of uh, especially back then when social media was not like, you didn't have a, a community of trusted dudes necessarily. Um, you'd, you'd kind of just, yeah, dudes were less trustworthy back then. Well, you, there were probably really good forums, you know, but I was yeah. not, I, I, I remember what forums I was on and they were not that good. It was, it was, if I'd listen to those guys, I'd be watching really lame movies. But you know, you know what must be part of it for me too is that's kind of like when torrenting was really big for movies. Oh, so you were just yeah. So the cost, the the yeah, yeah. 
because I was I just downloaded all of these, you know. Yeah, yeah. If I had, I think I'm a little older. Even I'm just a couple years older, but even just a little younger, I probably would have been that much more um, up on like torrenting and stuff like that. Right. I I would have been 18 in 2006. So yeah. Yeah, and I was yeah I was um sequestered from all media during that time. Hmm. Correct. Okay. So, um, so the fountain, I'll, I'll go first on the fountain because I, I, yeah, just, you I just watched it on your recommendation. Wait, should I do a synopsis of the plot? I have a very short one. Um, or sure. You want it? Yeah, no, go for it. So my synopsis for the plot and it was kind of, so I, I saw a preview for it and I should try to find the trailer, but, um, I had heard about it. And then I was like, I have to see that movie. Like I, I was like, this sounds like the coolest movie ever. Just the, the premise was sold me on it. So it was, it's, it's a love story. It's a sci-fi epic, but it's a love story that takes place uh, in three different time periods. Essentially you can think of them as almost like 500 years apart each. So it's present day um, conquistador, uh, um, kind of Central America, 1500s-ish, um, and then uh, kind of way out in the future with a bubble tree spaceship. And so it's uh, it's uh, three love stories with the same two, essentially characters, but same two actors in each time period. And uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, um, it's a funny thing that you were kind of describing like what genre it might fit into. Yeah. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't fit neatly into anything with, so it's pretty funny. I was looking at the Wikipedia. Here's how they describe it. The fountain is a 2006 American epic, magical realism, romantic drama film. Oh, that old, that old, uh, yeah, that, that well-worn category of epic, magical realism, romantic drama. I, I know that category. Well, yeah, they they should have that at the Oscars. <laughs> Best <laughs> epic romantic. <laughs> Best epic magical realism romantic drama film. Yeah. Um can I say something else? Yeah, I'm I'm on a podcast. I can say it. You can say it. Um so part of uh for preparation of this, I did rewatch the making of, which I had seen previously, but I wanted to kind of refresh to make sure I I knew the the specifics. Mm-hmm. But um the origin of it was um, Darren Aronofsky and Jared Leto went in when, when they were showing off their little film, they went and saw a screening of the matrix together. And when they saw it, he was basically like, I need to make a, a sci-fi movie that is, is similar to how like matrix kind of like had kind of condensed all sci-fi genres into kind of one and like had all kinds of stuff in it and kind of changed the game. He wanted to kind of make a totally different and distinct sci-fi movie. And that's what this was born out of Um, was, was a competitor to the matrix, which is kind of interesting to think about. That is interesting. And it's certainly, um, it's certainly distinct. Like I, um, I had a hard time thinking of it while watching it as sci-fi. For sure. Yeah. Well, there's, there's no spaceships unless you count the bubble. Um, Yeah. There's, there's no technology. There's no 
well, kind of, unless you count the the botanical compound. But yeah, it's it's very um, light on the um, like traditional sci-fi side of things. Yeah, so like, so it is a sci-fi in, a, in the in that you know he's he's in this lab, he's trying to do this thing that's never been done, which is immortality. And uh, you know, spoiler, he I think he succeeds, right? Because <laughs> kind of. So or or does he? Yeah, um, I guess my like very whoops, my very literal reading is that he does, but um, so it's like sci-fi in that sense. He's inventing new science, and and the spaceship is the the bubble is a spaceship. I saw some comment from Aronofsky who said he said something like, uh, "He's like I didn't want buttons, you know every every um, every spaceship looks like some flying truck or something like that, and it has all these buttons and all these lights and." Like I wanted this to be a different spaceship, and, and then he, but he also said he was surprised that people didn't realize it was supposed to be a spaceship. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I I heard that part in the the making of as well. It's kind of like they, um, yeah. It, it's explicitly a spaceship, but um, I was one of those. It people doesn't that, really read like it. Yeah, I, I I I wasn't I wasn't processing it that way. Um. I was like thinking that it was just um, uh, in, you know, in his imagination or something that, or the, there was the astral, mm. the astral realm or something. I, I didn't, I, I didn't think of it as a literal space. I didn't realize it was actually supposed to be that. Well, and I think you can, you can read it both ways and it's okay. Mm. And, and that's, that's a big thing with this film is, and, and a lot of the films I like is I don't necessarily like, films where they're like this is exactly what you're supposed to think and feel about this film at the end of it yeah so like marvel we can pick on marvel but like marvel's very much like that like it's like well you know the villain was bad but he did have you know a real (laughs) thing there and so that's you know i guess i can think like they kind of try to like force this like narrative on you where it's like well maybe the villain had a point after all but you know he was just a villain so he had to kill him and and like um but but like with aronofsky's films and and a lot of films that i like you kind of you 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 finish the film and you're like what yeah (laughs) and and you but it's accompanied with you kind of start thinking about it for a little bit like they they don't just disappear yeah. And I might be um, having this conversation too soon after having watched it. I think I, so. I, I think I watched it on, you know, today's a Thursday and I think I watched it on a Tuesday uh, on Tuesday. So um, it definitely first I'll, I'll give kind of my summary on the experience of watching it, which is um most the first way through, I felt like I was following it, but also uh, having a hard time. There was definitely question marks like and and I'm probably, you know, I'm probably pretty literal brained sometimes. And I was kind of thinking like, uh, OK, so like, is this the same guy? Does he exist over these three different time periods or um once, once she mentions the book, I'm thinking, okay, well, the the conquistador is 
fake. He only he's he's existing just in the form of the book. Um, so I kind of yeah, that, get, that gets blown up at the end. That idea. Um, oh, you'll in have a certain to, way. You'll have to explain to me how because okay. I didn't realize. But that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, okay, the past is just the book, her, his wife's book. Um, okay, that makes sense. I can I can follow that. And then the present is the present. Um, but then I didn't know what was going on because I didn't even really. I didn't even really realize it was a spaceship. I, I didn't realize he was in space trying to get to uh Jibola. Where did you think he was? Uh, at, like the astral realm. Like I thought he yeah. was like, I thought it was somewhere he like Nirvana sort of thing. He'd gotten there through meditation or something. I, that's kind of all I thought it was. I thought it was in his mind. Um, so well, I, yeah. And I guess you don't really know where he's going at the beginning. You're, you see this spaceship thing moving through space weird yeah. looking space and you're like what is this like why is he doing tai chi in the stars yeah i was wondering why you know like i was wondering actually specifically i have that in my notes about tai chi like why um why this particular uh like chinese uh i, I guess it's a martial art or not a martial art but uh it is well is it martial it's a, it is okay. Actual Tai Chi is. I could talk. Let's let's do let's switch and talk about Chinese martial arts. Yeah, let's do that. This is the um the Granite Mountain Martial Tai Chi podcast. No, I'm gonna do that on Brett's podcast. But <laughs> but uh but yeah, what's the what's is Tai does Tai Chi just film well or is there a reason he's doing that? I well I think yeah I think part of it is there's supposed to be a bit of confusion as to what's going on like that that's kind of part of the story cuz cuz essentially with since there's three storylines there's actually not that much content to the actual stories themselves cuz it's like three stories cut up in the, the mm-hmm. normal amount of a movie and so um but essentially the three stories are somewhat dependent on the other two stories in order to be fulfilled and so like you don't really know what's going on at the beginning. And then at the end, all the three stories have their climaxes right at the same time. Mm. And, and so, um, which is kind of like an interesting narrative device as well. Like, I don't know how many movies do that type of thing. Um, Um, oddly there's, this is different, but it's similar where, um, uh, Dunkirk where, Mm there's like three main groups, but they're all each story gets roughly the same amount of time, but the, the group on the ground that's trying to load into those big ships and then the boats in the water and then the, the uh, planes in the sky, um, they're all taking, uh, it's almost like orders of magnitude and difference in like how in the duration of each one's story, but they all get the same amount of screen time. Like the, the planes get like 30 minutes of screen time, but it's only like, really three minutes of action of what they do or some, that sort of thing. Like, and then they all sort of meet together at the end of the movie, mm. but that, yeah, that's, so that's different than this, but it's kind of a similar. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, and also I, there's, there's some, uh, general symbolism going on in the storytelling where, um, the movie itself is a progression of darkness to light. And, each scene within the movie is a progression from darkness to light. Mm. And every scene is almost like a journey where there's kind of forward progression um, to kind of like an end point that it's kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel. 
Does every and scene does there, do, do all the scenes actually end literally lighter than they started? Yes. Uh, okay. Um, I didn't. I didn't so pick it's up. It's kind of fractal in in its nature. It's every single scene starts out dark and gets lighter, and then the like if you could take like a color grading average of the colors over like every second of the movie, it would go from darker to lighter at the end of the movie. Like so, the progressive scenes get lighter and lighter and lighter. Okay, I think I was subconsciously noticing that, but it did not did not actually process that. Which funnily, funnily enough, um, Roger Ebert, his like he had a bad review of the movie, and I only read one read one line from it, but he said something like "too many white screens." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's doing weird stuff in the movie, like like that that a lot of movies don't typically do, but that's probably why I like it. But um, uh, yeah, I could like at the beginning of the movie, like that first uh, scene where they're like walking through the jungle and stuff. You can you can like barely see what's happening. I, I thought that too. I was thinking, is this? Well, I was also watching it, you know, just on my computer, and uh, I mean, it's a it's a nice screen, but I was wondering if it was um if it was a problem, you know, with my screen. You'd be or, well served with a big bright screen for sure. Um, yeah, watching this movie, it's definitely a visual spectacle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's dark intentionally. Okay, yeah. At first, I was wondering if there was a, an issue, but yeah, that that makes sense now. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that 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 theme of darkness to light, um, kind of this yin yang type thing. I think maybe that fits into kind of the tai chi because tai chi has kind of a similar uh, <laughs> symbolism to it. In that there's there's the soft side of things can can actually be a, a uh, yeah like a martial art so um, anyway yeah um, but yeah definitely kind of like a yin yang type type uh, symbolism to it it's it's overtly Christian in that the first part of the movie is a is a Bible scripture I don't know if you caught that yeah it's, well it's from uh, it's from Genesis right. Mm-hmm. So, um, Aronofsky is, he, he seems really re- interested in religion, um, just in general throughout his, his other movies. Um, he himself, I, I, he said, I looked at his Wikipedia, you know, uh, raised Jewish, he said like secular, secular Jew or something like that. Uh, but what's, do you know anything about his, not, not that the, the, the beliefs, his beliefs necessarily, uh, matter to the movie but do you know anything about that well they do and they don't right um so i'm I'm definitely a firm believer in death of the author in that it doesn't really matter what the author thinks um but uh that being said um yeah he he's secular uh jewish uh, yeah and in his wikipedia it says he never like went to temple or studied the scriptures really um but he obviously has kind of like a deep knowledge of scripture and stuff like he he does some deep cuts on his uh scriptural stuff at least um and he seems to be interested in in the bible especially the old testament um and uh i mean he made the movie noah (laughs) later on right so so he has an interest in it and and actually so three of his movies are kind of explicitly biblical in nature so so it's the fountain uh noah and then mother um 
And now to the extent that um, what is what is his point in talking about religion, he seems – from what I can tell, he is atheist or leans atheist or something like that. But he's obviously not lacking kind of a spiritual component or, or anything like that because he seems to be thinking deeply about these themes. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe thinking deeply about Genesis, specifically the Adam and Eve story down to Noah, you probably can get some good insights maybe. That's just the thought in my mind, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe thinking about Adam and Eve a lot is is a, one way of getting closer to to truth. Um, so so yeah, and this this story is kind of like an Adam and Eve story, right? So it's male female, kind mm-hmm. of that yin yang again. Yeah, really uh, really tiny cast for the movie. Other I mean, right. other than some of those. Um, well, even with the 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 conquistador storyline, there's really not that many people in this movie. Right, right, yeah. The main characters are essentially just the two, uh, which would be Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz, and um, then there's you know kind of a supporting cast, and a lot of the characters are kind of repeated in the different time periods, and so. Do the same um, people occur appear in other time periods, or just the just the two main the two leads? I think it's mainly just the two leads. There might be some overlap, though. I can't. I'm, I'm thinking. Well, because the the third time period, it's just Hugh Jackman. Yeah, that's um, true. and a tree represent that, and a ghost, Rachel Weisz, I guess. Hmm. Um. But maybe actually, before we get into more of it, um, the the movie was actually going to be his big follow up to Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. And he had huge um, studio funding. It was going to be a big budget uh, epic with like big battles and stuff like that. And Mm. um, so uh, they were going to film in 2002 in Australia. And the actors attached to it was Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett. Yeah. And then. Oh, yeah. Well, you go ahead. On that really quick. Yeah, I saw that. And. Um, maybe it's for the worst that he didn't get to make the big budget version that he wanted, but I can't, it doesn't, those two actors doesn't seem like the right fit because I can't like a big part of this is, uh, like the, the lead, the main guy, Thomas, uh, is played by, uh, the, Hugh Jackman. Um, he's a, he's a big wife guy, you know, he's like, he's really in love with his wife and I can't, I could not picture Brad Pitt having that same sort of like um, maybe at the time before we knew it was much about Brad Pitt, the, the person, but maybe at the time he could have pulled it off, but I, I can't picture him now, uh, you know, being that, that sort of like that, that sort of guy that's so in love with his wife. He doesn't seem like he, he, he as a person does not seem like someone who has that, um, that gear. Yeah, I could see that. He he's a good actor though. Well, he's a great but, he's a great um, actor, but Hugh Jackman just seems like a much more um yeah, sen- sentimental kind of guy. Yeah, and so um I think though part of the well, and it is. So when Brad Pitt basically dropped out a week before filming. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't know why specifically. The Wikipedia said something about like script revisions that he wanted. Yeah. And so um, maybe he wanted to be, he's like, I, I need this script. Uh, I need to appear like less of a simp. 
Yeah, maybe that's what he said. He's like, I want to wear armor like, no, this is a... and stab people. Yeah, and Aronofsky's like, no, this is a simp movie. So, uh, so no. It's not a simp movie. Okay, it kind of is. It's I'm overcoming not... being a simp. That's what it is, actually. Yeah, I, I won't say it's a simp movie or not, but the guy, uh, you know, he, yeah. goes, he goes crazy trying to prevent his li- uh, wife from dying. Yes. Yes. But anyway, he, um, that's what ended the, the first version of the, the film, which was actually called The Last Man. Um, and uh, so so basically what Aronofsky did, because supposedly this was kind of like his baby. And, and in one interview, it's like this was the film he was wanting to make, like and why he made all the other films leading up to this one. And um, so he um, basically decided to go indie, essentially, and kind of cut the budget in half mm-hmm. and um, and then restarted in 2004, started filming in Canada. I, th- I think and, he got, I think he got the better actors the, the, that fit better for at least you know my maybe maybe I don't know his the other vision he had but but if you told me like what the story was going to be I think I think the actors he ended up with are better fits. Well, and and he was married to wait Rachel Vice at the time. Oh, really? Yeah, those two were married. They were married from two thousand one to two thousand ten. Oh, that's I did not know that. That explains some things. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, if only, if only he had found um, the 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 fountain of uh, marital endurance. Yeah, if only. Um, yeah, which I had a crush on her back in that time period after the Mummy and Mummy Two. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think in that time period, that's that was a that's a very defensible crush. Yes. Um. But yeah, so anyway, um, so yeah, it, it essentially became like an indie film at that point. So it was it was like very small released, like it wasn't released everywhere. And it was kind of also panned by critics. Are we going to do the uh, the guessing game? I haven't looked. Oh, um, I, I wasn't necessarily going to do it, but let's do it because because you, you didn't look. I wasn't going to do it because I figured you just knew it because it well, was, I kind of know that it, you, it's yeah you know it was well. yeah. I think it's like right at fifty percent if I'm not mistaken. Um yeah I think it was fifty. I haven't like looked, I looked recently. I I myself didn't look and then I and I was going to watch it and then give it a score after and my guess was sixty and then I think it, it was at fifty two. Okay. Um. So yeah, so very divisive, but it does kind of have a cult following. There's a lot uh, yeah, of 70, 74 like on the, on the fans. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've met people, I've tried to show it to people and they just hate it, which I understand, but um, I disagree. I certainly didn't hate it. I think I was telling you the, um, the first like three quarters. Um, I, I didn't really like it. The first three quarters. I mean, I didn't dislike it though, either. It wasn't like offensive to me or bad or actively bad. It was just, um, I wasn't really getting, I had a hard time getting into it. Um, but then the end for reasons, I, I can't even articulate really why, but I did think the end was, um, was like powerful. Uh, so I think it, I think it got to a place where I was, where it tipped it into a, a positive, the po- a positive side of the, le- of the ledger for me. Okay. Well, that's good. 
I don't know. What else should we talk about? I've got a lot to say still, but I don't know where to go. Okay. I think I probably derailed us some point there, but I think you were talking about the pre-production about, you know, how they had the other people that were lined up to do it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, you know, it, it went off um, a few years later. So that's why there's such like a gap in Aronofsky's kind of filmography because there I believe it was um, high than um, Requiem for a Dream, which was what, 2001 or, or 99? I can look it up, but I want to say 2001. 2000. Um, so, yeah. And then he didn't do a film for six years. Um, and so it was kind of like what, what happened, right? And that's what happened. And so, um, so yeah. But then... Um, I also kind of want, because I think this also ended up kind of influencing his future choices, like doing the wrestler and stuff like that, because um, which ended up kind of catapulting him once again, Um, because the wrestler came out right after this in 2008 and um, was once again kind of a low budget um, uh, indie film, right? But, yeah, that uh, one was a bigger hit, right? That one, that critically and commercially, yes, a bigger hit. Yeah, didn't it? Didn't it win Best Picture or was it? Yeah, yeah. I think it won. I wasn't. I wasn't in America at the time. But mm-hmm. um, what's interesting about it, though, is um, the Wrestler is a totally different film, totally gra- grounded in reality, almost uh, hyper real. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so not to talk about the wrestler too much, but um and also if we go forward another two years into uh Black Swan, um you see kind of similar storytelling stuff in in it where it, especially those two the endings are quite ambiguous where mm-hmm. um in the wrestler you don't know if he dies or lives. And then spoiler alert. And in uh Black Swan you don't know if she was crazy or not. And <laughs> yeah. and you're kind of left to think about it yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And so in, in The Fountain, you've got the same kind of dilemma, right? Where is this a story or is this real? Is this like a, some kind of memory or, all, or second life? You know, is this about reincarnation? I think, I think there are some like Eastern religious themes in, in the movie. Uh, and as mentioned, the Tai Chi that's there, but there's a lot of yin yang. There's a lot of kind of death, the cycle of samsara, you might say, of mm. uh, birth, death, and rebirth. Um, but yeah, say um, I kind of want to pause for a second. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> Maybe I'm, yeah. Again, possibly too being too literal brained, but it's like why have why have all these different philosophies? And not, it doesn't seem to explore any given one of them too far, but just sort of some of the service level ideas from from a bunch of different ones. Okay, so one part of that is this is the fountain. It's about the fountain of youth, or yeah. the tree of life, right? Yeah, and I saw an interview where he was talking about sort of Aronofsky's talking about like he's like every culture has this, every culture has some right. version of this story, and, so, and, and it so always involves doing, water. 
is yeah. one thing that water and food or something. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it is he wanted to kind of show off the idea of, you know, maybe there's kind of something to this, uh, you know, fountain of youth type thing. Cause it's called the fountain. There's not really a fountain in it. There's a tree. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm, I was actually almost scared to bring it up. I was going to say, uh, I, I must've missed the part with the, with the running water. The, well, at the end of the conquistador story. Yeah, okay, I remember that now. There, there's a fountain in front of the Tree of Life. Um, uh, yeah, well, I guess, was it a pool or a fountain? Not that it matters. I mean, a pool well, can be a fountain. Well, I think but... in, in the sense of this film, it was supposed to be yeah. a fountain. But yeah, not not like a running fountain necessarily. Yeah, not one that you'd see at, at Mar-a-Lago. Correct. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so I think I think there's that to it. But this obviously is critical of the uh, Catholic Church. Um, uh, yeah, tell me more. Yeah, so so this uh, Noah and the mother could all be seen as uh, critiques of religion, right? Um, so explicitly, well, so another symbolic uh, through line of this movie is each, in each time period, there's a threat to the woman and the threat is, has something to do with cancer. Right. And mm-hmm. so in, in the modern day, she literally has uh, brain cancer. And then in the, um, in the conquistador period, um, it's the inquisition and the uh, church, the, this bad priest from the Catholic church is trying to take over, um, is trying to take over uh, Spain and and take it from the queen who is the love interest in that period. Yeah, and so that. and it, it's actually said that the the cancer is spreading of the this priest's control over Spain. Mm. And so that's the cancer in that period, and and essentially like there's this threat to the queen, and the only way to save her, her is to get to the fountain of youth and and bring it back, and and so she can live forever. And then uh, in the future time. The woman is a tree and the cancer is actually himself where he's he has to eat the tree to stay alive because the tree is uh, from the seed from the tree of life down in the conquistador period. Mm-hmm. And, okay. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah, that, that last one. Yeah, I did not um, did not put that together. It's, it's the tree that's planted over her grave. Uh, well, I, I understand. Yeah, I knew that, but I didn't realize. I didn't quite process it. You know how he's killing the tree. Yeah, that's. Uh... Yeah, because he's he's eating the tree to stay alive, mm-hmm. and and each time he takes from the tree, it's it's essentially killing her, and and yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it's an interesting interesting uh, symbolism there, but the critique of the Catholic Church is definitely there, and and you know, the priest is shown as this maniacal bloodthirsty guy. He's doing self-flagellation and there's just blood and they're like, uh, hanging people upside down and, uh, killing everyone. And, um, so yeah, not looking favorably upon organized religion. Um, the one thing I can say is he does seem to have something, somewhat of a problem with the Catholic church. (laughs) And um, I don't know what that's from necessarily, but um, 
Noah, not so much other than Noah himself is kind of portrayed as a madman. And it's kind of like, why would you follow a religious person? Because they're crazy. And then, um, although if that's the take you got out of Noah, you did it wrong. But um, I, I haven't seen it yet. But um, but I uh, and we had talked in the past about some other uh, biblical uh, prophets and stuff and how they would almost most of the time they would appear like madmen. Yes. And that's the cool part of Noah is it, it is he he does seem crazy and he he himself is not even sure that the flood is going to happen or that, uh, you know, what he's doing is right. And and that's kind of the interesting kind of dilemma of the movie. But anyway, well, um, oh, that actually yeah. brings that reminds me of um, I haven't th- I haven't sat with it long enough to have uh, a very developed thinking about it but in in the fountain uh jackman is he's definitely you know he's definitely comes across as a madman to Mm -hmm. his colleagues uh and even to to the woman and it's i'm kind of wondering what the like archetypes or symbols are there between him and her the, the interplay between him and her because she is uh very calm and she has accepted her fate and has this confidence. Um, and if I'm, if I followed it correctly, she, uh, she already sort of like knew about eternal life and she was hoping he would, you know, get there too. Like that maybe in, in mm-hmm. his, in his, uh, more masculine logical science brain or something. But, um, so he's kind of like, he's losing it throughout a lot of this movie. And then, right. There's a progression always, from a normal yeah. guy to a madman. Yeah. Um, but she's always very like self-assured or she's always assured. She always sort of knows where well, she stands. So, yeah. And so, so what it is and another theme of the movie is essentially accepting death. So she's accepted death, integrated it into her, her being. So she's, she's not afraid of it. She's mm-hmm. facing it head on. Whereas he's, he's, extremely fearful at the beginning he's yeah. he's willing to do anything to stop death and um it's actually not until uh the end of the movie the climax of the movie where he finally accepts death that he's reunited uh supposedly you don't really see it but the idea would be that a- upon accepting death as a part of life which is kind of what she learns from reading up on uh native cultures of of the maya um that that uh, death is the road to awe or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, once he finally accepts death, he that's the that's the time when he's actually kind of uh, reunited with her, uh, or not necessarily in the movie, but that's kind of the idea. Yeah. What what's going on when he in that in that at that point where he uh he, I guess it's, you know, I guess it's this part you're talking about. He accepts death. Um, and then he's, and it's like back to the, the conquistador era where he's with that. Um, uh, I, I don't know if it's a tribal chief or shaman or whatever. And, and he's it's kind of like, cherubim is what it is. Oh, okay. The flaming so that, sword. Yeah. I, yeah. The flaming sword I, I intended to bring up, but, um, but okay. So that guy, uh, he's, and he's sort of, you know, Jack, Jackman's doing like that, uh, like airbender thing or whatever. Uh, it was before airbender though. But okay. yeah, yeah. He, so that's, that's kind of the interesting part of the movie is where the future stories impact the past stories 
like in a real sense. Yeah, and he's like, I didn't, I don't remember what he calls him, but he's like, I didn't recognize you. Sort first of father. Oh, okay, first father. Yeah. So, because it's supposedly the first father uh, had a tree grow out of his stomach, and that's what the earth was. Yeah. And that tree is supposedly the tree of life in that in that culture. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so so right as he's about to be killed with the flaming sword, you know, he's already been stabbed. Uh, that's when the future guy reaches uh, Shabalba or the the star that represents the uh, underworld for Mayan cultures or essentially like heaven, I guess you could call it. Um, and then it he gets like the 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 chief sees a vision of the future man doing his meditative Tai Chi golden man pose <laughs> and decides not to kill him and let him pass. And also uh, more symbolism with uh, every scene is almost like a birth canal. So like it, that scene, especially that goes through, there's kind of all this blood in that chamber. Uh, yeah. I was wondering about that. Yeah. I, I, uh, I kind of noticed that, but I was, I was wondering. Mm-hmm. And so, so then he comes out into the, you can see kind of everywhere. And also you, he goes through into the light. And so he's, he's kind of reborn, I guess you would say. And then he goes and finds the, the tree and starts drinking some sap, which is very white and oozy or whatever. And then, uh, but yeah, then he ends up uh, essentially it, the wound that he got from the stab, the flowers start coming out of it. So, yeah. So, um, so I think uh, I need to watch it again because um, it, it's definitely a multi watcher. Yeah, I need to watch it again, especially now having done a little more research. I wanted, I intentionally went in uh, knowing nothing. Um, just wanted to have that, uh, that blank experience, but now I need to watch it again, knowing quite a bit more. Well, and, and also it helps to know each of the stories and how they end at the beginning um, yeah. as well. So like, yeah, watching it again kind of changes it because you're not just left in total confusion of like, who's this guy? Why do they look the same? Is this real? Is that not real? Which are not really the right questions to be asking when you're watching it. Yeah. But Yeah. There's a lot of, um, there's also a lot, I, I knew it at the time what they were doing, but I wasn't, I wasn't mentally keeping up. Um, I, I mean, I wasn't maybe trying very hard, but at the time I, I knew they were using a lot of visual cues to, to say, you know, something like the, the tattoo on the ring finger uh-huh. to say like, this is the same guy and this isn't the same guy sort of things. Like it, it was like, um, but the, but I know that I, I suspect there's, numerous that i didn't pick up on yeah and and so you you had said you watched like a fountain explainer um prior to recording and i was like no don't (laughs) mainly because every single fountain explainer i've seen tries to explain concretely okay this is real this is not real he's obviously the same guy because of this and he built this bubble spaceship out of this technology (laughs) and like you know what i mean it's kind of like yeah that's not the point of the movie. It's not like, like you can kind of come to your own interpretation of, of what it means and whether it's a good or bad or whatever. But like, yeah, it's not about like, okay, well, is the conquistador thing real or not? Personally, I just say all three are real. Uh, makes the most sense to me. Um, like if I was 
pressed to ask, mm -hmm. but I, you know, you could say, yes, the one is just the book. And you could even say that the future is him finishing the book, but then like that doesn't really make sense either. But um, yeah. And the movie doesn't say that. So like for you to think that that's just drawing your own conclusions. Hmm. Yeah. I will say that this, the explainer I saw was not, it was more philosophically concerned. So okay. it, wasn't, it wasn't, they did point out the visual cues just saying like, uh, that the, the foreshadowing and things like that. But, um, but they didn't try too hard to like nail, nail down the actual, uh, plot points or anything. Okay. Cause, cause yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's my favorite movie. So I try, I've, I've like tried to find other people talking about it, you know, but usually the discourse is like, okay, well, so this is real and this is not real. And, and it's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> this is not what I wanted. So what's, I mean, you've, um, you've, you've already said this, but if, if you were to, to sum it up, uh, it's your favorite movie. Why? Like, what is it? What is it? Uh, well, first of all, it came out in 2006. No. Yeah. Um, although that probably does have something to do with it. Um, so for me, I, I have movies that I get cravings for. And this is one of them that I just have to watch every once in a while. Mm -hmm. um but i'm definitely more partial to kind of um uh beautiful movies and yeah. uh, movies that are very um interesting visually and i also really like kind of unique stories right like what ip is this based on you know what i mean the, the bible <laughs> right and the, also i really like religious stories so yeah um so yeah and and then um that i think the actors do a great job um in this um we haven't we haven't gone into everything but uh the clint mansell uh soundtrack is kind of uh probably more popular than the film itself in in ways um it was kind of a big one mm -hmm. and it's been reused in other movies which is weird i can't remember really? which but it has been I've seen a few instances of that happening, but not, but not many. Yeah. And so, um, the soundtrack is great. Um, and then the, um, not the soundtrack, not the acting, but the, uh, well, you're talking about the visuals and that's something yeah. I wanted to touch on. Um, I think I said to you that it felt like, um, like the movie was taking place in Photoshop. Um, and, and I'm, I'm blaming your computer on this, but it, it, yeah, let's talk about that. Well, I don't mean that. I didn't even mean that as a criticism, just that it's, that there was a, um, uh, for lack of a better word, I'll say like surrealist. Yes. Um, like, you know, well, it's not, it doesn't look like real life, which is not a bad thing. It's just, um, but it looked, I think, and I think you told me that it wasn't really CGI, but so I, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I don't know enough technically about how movies are made, but, um, I'm wonder, I am wondering how it was made because if, if it wasn't CGI, how, how, how are they doing that? Yeah. Yeah. So like CGI would be like Jar Jar Binks, right. Is totally made in a computer. Yeah. Right. There's not an actual actor. Well, the, the, there was a stand in, but you know, there's not like any yeah. film of Jar Jar Binks. Um, not, so, I mean, not that, not that you have, I know, I know, I know where the film is. <laughs> you know I've where seen, the, I've seen the it. Guns live. 
I, yeah, I've seen, I can't tell you that much more, but, <laughs> but, um, so, so the only, well, you tell me like mainly the outer space stuff or are you thinking, uh, yeah, the outer space stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mainly that. Cause it looks like, you know, it's sort of like, um, well, and, and again, not, not a criticism, but it reminds me of like a lot of children's books and things like that. The art, the artwork in a, in certain children's books. Okay, so the the tree was real, right? The bubble would be CG, though, I guess. So, like, the bubble is CG, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, other than that, um, which there's not much to the bubble, right? It's a transparent bubble. Um, but the all the um, outer space stuff is macro photography. It's uh, molecules and chemical reactions being filmed super close up. Oh, okay. And then they're overlaying, just yeah, overlaying. And they're other... just overlaying the film, uh, compositing it together. So there's actually like no like CG elements to any of it other than, you know, the, the computer being involved in, in compositing. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Th- so like the nebula and everything that's happening in outer space is all, um, macro photography, uh, chemical reactions lit from behind and stuff like on a microscope. Okay, interesting. Which goes back to kind of the cancer uh, theme in the whole thing. And then um, apparently the co-writer was one of his friends who had just gotten a degree in uh, neuroscience. Hmm. Oh, I had a question. I guess the um, it's kind of weird because they're in the, we'll call it present day, which mm-hmm. I was watching a short little um, like behind the scenes thing. And the one of the like the crew guys... He, he said something like, oh, we just wrapped up with the present. Like, like, so I think he means, you know, the set and the, and the costuming for the, the present day, uh-huh. like we're done with that period. So, um, that, that was just interesting to me because it's like when you work on a film, just the technical aspects of shooting the film are going to give away, you know, like if you were a crew member working on that, watching this, you would know little things just through just by, you know, like logistics, like of, of how things were filmed, when they were filmed, what they were, what they were referred to on the set, you would know things about the movie that, that, you know, the normal viewer couldn't know. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. um, but I was curious about the, so he's working in this lab with like monkeys and mm-hmm. which we, I don't even think we monkeys have come up yet, but uh, he's working with these monkeys and his wife is she's receiving like hospice care at his lab. Is that what, was that correct? Or I think his lab is at a hospital. Uh huh. Okay. So he's got like a research lab at a hospital, but it also and... looked like a, it was just the, the set was interesting. Cause it didn't look, it obviously didn't look like a hospital. It looked like, right. A... And I think part of that goes to also the, the set design in general, where everything was built to be like a tunnel uh, going from dark to light. True. And also yeah. everything was lit to look as if there were kind of like stars around. Yeah. So like if you go back to the, the conquistador period, there's all these candles hung in like different heights uh, um, in like the, the corridor leading to the queen. Mm-hmm. So it kind of looks like you're almost walking through outer space with those yeah. candles in the background. And then you see kind of the same details in the present day where there's kind of all these different little lights everywhere. Um kind of giving this this kind of outer space feel so so it it's designed intentionally the the hospital yeah so it doesn't look like a a normal hospital but um 
yeah, I mean, it could be near future because, you know, they're doing immortality research on monkeys, but it's it's essentially like the, the movie and the theme of the movie as well is kind of past, present, future. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what's happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that monkey in the box. That was a, a, a cute monkey. Um, yeah. Did they, I, what I wanted to ask you, just because I know, like at the beginning, they're like doing a surgery and they're talking about we're losing him, we're losing him. And then they reveal it's a monkey. Did that trick you at all? Oh, <laughs> or... uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it did. Okay. I, I didn't know. Um, but then they were also talking about like, um, uh, I think they said like now we have to put him down or something. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a, yeah, maybe, you know, I guess that does happen sometimes in surgery. You just have to kill the patient because you know you screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> But they were talking about a monkey, so that's funny. Uh, so uh, okay. Other than the two main characters, I already have an answer for this. But other than the two main characters, who who's uh who who's your uh, MVP? Uh, like the of the other actors and stuff. Yeah, the evil priest is good, and the non-evil priest is good. Um. The, 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 I feel like the, the, Oh, the non-evil priest is, uh, as, uh, Hector Salamanca, right. From Breaking Bad. Yes. Yes. He is. And walking around and talking, no problem. (laughs) And not ringing a bell. Um, yeah, I don't know. What's your answer? Oh, I, I gotta go with Ethan Supley. Yes. He did good too. Yeah. That's yep. that. I think that was Ethan Supley at like two fifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he would later probably go to four hundred, and now he's down to like one ninety. Yeah, yeah, very epic. Pre, my name is Earl. Yeah, pre um, running into Jim Cav, whatever you name, how do you say his name, Cavazale, on mm-hmm. a on a plane, telling him he was going to hell for being fat. <laughs> is that what happened? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he he got up. He got huge. Uh, he got. Yeah. He was like over 400 pounds probably. And uh, he was on this flight uh, with that, with Caviziel. I don't know how you say his name, but, and, and Caviziel comes up to him and he's like, uh, they didn't know each other. Right. And they weren't working together or anything. They just both happened to be in first class on this flight. And, and he comes up to him and he's like, uh, he's like, bro, the way you carry yourself, the way you appear, um, you look like you're in hell. You're committing yourself to to live in hell, and 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 Caviezel, I guess, is like a you know he's a I th- he's devout something. I think Catholic, uh, you know, because he was in, yeah, in he passion. Was Jesus. Yeah, and he and he's just like he's like I try to emulate Jesus, and Jesus would not have you living like that. And that's like what that's like the turning point for Supley. It's a wow. crazy story. Yeah, and he, and he they're not like they're not like buds now or anything. He. Uh, and he was, he, he said he was, you know, he was kind of offended, but also just like no one had ever told him straight up to his face that he needed to change. Hmm. Yeah. It's a, you can Google it. It's a funny story or a crazy story. So it does work. No. <laughs> oh it, yeah. I mean, for some people, I think it certainly does. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He was good in it. Um, the, the lady doctor, I feel like does a good job being a lady doctor. Yeah, she does one of my favorite things in movies. She does the, uh, she does like the, you're out of control scene. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a good scene. Um, 
I realize we didn't do the plot. I don't know if we need to just go I watch it. I don't it. think you need to because <laughs> yeah. um, the plot is the plot could be summarized in like a couple sentences, really just guy trying to save his wife from dying and then she dies. Yeah, it's more about and then he the... goes into a space bubble tree. <laughs> that old plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And but yeah, so um, yeah, I think the macro photography element of it is cool. I like and and so there's kind of like you know maybe some Illuminati stuff going on there with as above so below type stuff, but um, so maybe it's just Illuminati. I don't know. But <laughs> um, and and then there's also the the shots that start up start out upside down and then flip over really fast. I don't know if you remember those shots. Yeah, that was cool. Um, the one on the I think it was on a bridge with a car. The bridge um, with a car and then a guy on a horse and then they do it with the space bubble. Yeah, I thought it looked really cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there's kind of this forward momentum as well in every scene. Um, like it's never stopping moving, which I think is kind of a commentary maybe on aging and, and death in general. Mm. Like, like you're always moving forward to the inevitable fate. Yeah. Like no matter what you do. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, you say you've like recommended this to lots of people or, or at least tried to talk to people about it and most don't necessarily connect with it. So who would you, who would you recommend this for? Well, everyone should watch it cause it's my favorite movie, but yeah, if you don't like, there are some people like my brother who do not like movies who don't tell you what to think. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So if you like when a movie is very clear on what the message and the moral and the plot is. Don't watch this because it's not clear on any of that stuff. Um, but if you tend to like, uh, you know, I would say that to me, um, Aronofsky is a step up from uh, we mentioned him earlier. What's the other director guy? Mm. Um, sorry. Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Um, mm, okay. So, so kind of, if you're into Christopher Nolan and you like thinking you're a deep guy, watch the Marinovsky movies. All right, <laughs> do yourself a favor. Not that Nolan is not deep, and he doesn't, because he does this as well, right? Like Nolan has very similar things, and Memento is is great, um, but like it's very like um, ambiguous, kind of what's going on, you know, in Interstellar, you know, oh. But to me, he's like kind of like the popcorn version of Darren Aronofsky. Like if you want to go eat some popcorn and just chill and, and maybe get a little deep, that, that's where you go. But Aronofsky is where you're really diving in. Um, but yeah, I would say anyone who's a Nolan fan would probably have a chance at liking this. Hmm. Um, but not if you just like Christopher Nolan, big budget spinning hallway stuff. I can't speak to it because I've only, this is, uh, well, maybe I've seen enough. I mean, I, I guess I saw Requiem, but way back, like when it came out, I was too young, too young to see it. And we'll we'll probably never see it again. Um, and then I saw black Swan, but I think those, these three now are the only ones I've seen. Black Swan is good. Um, um, yeah, but, uh, they're not the same in, in a lot of ways, but in, in the sense that they kind of do these kind of um, slightly bigger budget, more cerebral think about it movies, you know, but, but to me, like for instance, um, 
Inception is very like, oh, but did the top fall over at the end or did it not? Like, it's kind of like it really sets you up to be like, well, is it real or not real? Whereas I feel like (laughs) Aronofsky kind of trusts the audience a little bit more where he's he's just not going to tell you anything. Mm hmm. Yeah, this this movie actually did a, a few times remind me of um, of Interstellar because of uh, because of the space stuff and the intergenerational aspect of the, you know, like the the time span and uh, family family dynamics and stuff like that or like uh, motivation for love of family. So they did remind me a little bit of that. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, and and so. Um, but yeah, to me also, the interesting thing is, um, uh, with, with the fountain on that, that note and, and is it a simp movie or not a simp movie? Um, cause, cause like in a way he is a simp, but also he's like neglecting her for the sake of trying to like save her life. Oh and, yeah. They, they touch on that a few times. Like they, I mean, they, they beat you over the head almost with it where he like four, four or five times. He very, very distinctly um, rejects opportunities to spend time with her so he can, you know, focus. Right. So he can focus on finding something that will cause death to not happen. Right. And basically like that's, that's the sin of the character, right? That's his, his biggest dilemma is, he's so attached to living forever that he's unwilling to accept death. And, and um, I guess, I don't know how much we get into religion on this granite mountain podcast, but uh, you know, that's kind of like seeing death as part of the plan uh, of salvation as part of the road to awe is kind of a big part of, Mm -hmm. (laughs) of our religion. And so that's kind of like one reason why it really like resonated with me. Cause like I had never like watched a movie that kind of, I felt like, Hey, this guy kind of gets, gets it, you know, yeah. um, on, on kind of a theological level, at least when it comes to like death and rebirth and that type of stuff. But, but so basically, and also there's stars that you can actually go to and stuff. So I guess that's part of our religion too. But, um, <laughs> yeah. well, again, actually in interstellar was another one that kind of, uh, and maybe that's something we could do sometimes. So like, a uh, uh, crypto Mormon films, films are unintentionally, uh, yeah. Uh, bolster our unique, uh, doctrine. Dude, Mad Max Fury road too. No. <laughs> oh, you'll have to I'll tell do. me, the, you have to build the case for that one. Cause I don't know. It's not really, but <laughs> book of Eli is, but yeah. Yeah, I had some others. I can't remember them, but yeah, maybe we, we'll, we'll workshop that one and, and come yeah, back. we should do that. That's a, we could do Book of Eli. We could do <laughs> Interstellar. Yeah, um, preview. Um, but yeah, um, and and I think <laughs> not to upset any of our our viewers out there um, who may be Catholic, but I think to a certain extent, some of it comes from a critique of Catholicism. <laughs> in that, um kind of uh, the same critiques that people have are, are kind of similar critiques that we may have as, as members of the church. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, not that there's anything wrong with Catholicism, but yeah, well they, you know, they were kind of the only, only game in town for a while. So uh, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking about at the beginning where um, 
if Aronofsky, if Aronofsky has, I won't, I mean, I guess I wouldn't call it anti-Catholic, but if he's got like that streak in him of, of wanting to talk about Catholic stuff. Sometimes that's a, sometimes Catholicism is a stand in just for, for Christianity generally. Right. Right. And, and like I said, who knows what he's thinking, but, but yeah, unintentionally he kind of stumbles upon kind of death being integral to uh, eternal life, <laughs> which, you know, it, it's, I feel like that theme is not done often, you know, mm-hmm. it, and it's kind of like a big theme, but I, I don't even know another movie that talks about eternal life that much. Yeah. But. Let's, let's do some, let's do some research on that. And if, by the way, I mean, not, not a ton of people have been tuning into these shows, which is to be expected. No, but, I know. Um, but we get, I mean, I don't know how many people would listen to the whole thing or whatever, but if you are someone listening to this and you, you definitely leave comments or send me messages or whatever, because um, it's a, just nice to know that people thought it was interesting or or they were listening. And if they just know something that, that we don't know, then I'd love to be corrected or or just learn more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, there's something I I needed to clarify because I may have anyone listening. I may have confused them earlier when you were talking about Rachel Weiss being in a relationship, I, I thought you were talking about with Hugh Jackman. I realized later you're oh, talking about with, with no, Aronofsky. Aronofsky. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't clarify that, but yeah, well, it was, I, 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 it was probably obvious, but I, I was for some reason thinking the two actors and yeah, I guess she has a kid with Aronofsky. So yeah, I don't know. Probably. But I think, I think the, I pulled up her Wikipedia just incidentally and it, um, it said something about that. Now she's with uh, Daniel Craig. That's right. That's right. I didn't know that. She cragged it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess who else should watch it would be um, simps should watch it. Um, <laughs> well, on the topic of it being a simp film, I would just, um, you know, it's sort of, it's like a fellas, is it gay to love your wife moment? You know, it's like, I mean, it's not a simp film. Of course he's it's, 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 it is totally okay to, to find, to search for eternal life on behalf of your wife. That's not a, that's not a bad thing to do. It's a, it's like a quest, right? Like, yeah. especially in the, the first one, it, he's like on this quest to save the woman, which I feel like is, you know, you could categorize that as being a simp, but it's kind of like a universal story. Actually, know? it's very toxic. Uh, <laughs> The, the toxic need for men to save women. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, that's one of the oldest stories that there is, you know, I wonder, I wonder how many, um, I wonder how many listicles were inspired by, uh, the fountain. <laughs> Probably not that many. How the, these 10 gifts from the fountain perfectly explain. Yeah. The fountain gif of him reaching Shibalba and kind of having <laughs> this amazed face is, has been, uh, used a lot. Oh, has it? Yeah, I'll probably I'll start noticing it now, but I I didn't notice it already. Yeah, just kind of being like amazed by something. You you throw that gif on them, um, or ironically, ironically amazed by something. Um, but yeah, so um, but yeah, like like I said, the the disease, like the the problem that he has is he can't accept death, and and so realizing that like 
artificially prolonging his life is actually like delaying the inevitable and also um just uh making him be away from the woman for longer mm. and so so he actually kind of has to accept his own death to uh to move forward uh, and on that the this little interview I was watching with uh, with Hugh Jackman he was talking about filming this movie he intentionally didn't uh it, it was going to make him be away from his family for a few months but he he could have like brought them with him you know cuz he's a rich guy i guess uh-huh. you can bring your family wherever you go but he intentionally you know worked on this movie alone because he didn't want like he thought it would have been like it's something like it would have been too hard at the end of every day to like then have to switch back into like family. He wanted, I guess, he wanted to preserve that uh, feeling of being isolated. Yeah, and he actually did a lot of his own stunts too. So like, there's a lot of wire work in the the zero gravity tree spaceship. No, oh, yeah, and um, he did a lot of that stuff and like trained for tai chi and and stuff. So yeah, accomplished guy. Yeah. Yeah, it went from X-Men to this, basically. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right, cool. I I think I'm out of stuff to say, but um, but Um, this this was illuminating. Go go watch it, and if you don't like it, you're an idiot. (laughs) If if this was this was too hard for you to enjoy, just go watch the really bad movies made by that really bad guy. Christopher Nolan. No, I like Nolan. I, I like know, Nolan. I just, I'm just saying I had a friend who his favorite filmmaker was Nolan. And I'm like, and he thought it was like the deepest of the deep. And I'm like, it's not that deep. Like it's fairly <laughs> simple. Like Memento's pretty deep, I feel like, but like uh since then he's kind of just, you know, he, he's got his little twists and turns and stuff. It's it's well specifically i had gotten home from my mission right before inception came out so i and i was a big movie guy before my mission and so i get home and an inception comes out and everyone's like it'll blow your mind <laughs> it'll be the craziest movie you've ever seen and like keep in mind i was a big fan of the fountain already and like you know i had seen memento i had seen like a bunch of crazy um indie movies and stuff yeah, like that. Your mind had already been point. blown. And then I go to Inception and I'm like waiting for it my mind to be blown. And and what I realized is they just thought the four layers was really complex. And I was yeah. like, it's just yeah, it's just four layers. Like <laughs> it's not that complex. It's fairly linear in its storytelling. Like there's there's nothing really that crazy here. So I was I like kept waiting for my mind to be blown and it, it just wasn't. Yeah. <laughs>